everyone, how's it going? It's Nir from Blockthrough, the market leader in ad block revenue recovery, and you're listening to Slice of Ad Tech. Maximizing revenue is the name of the advertising game for publishers. So on this show, I chat with ad tech industry experts to explore the ideas, strategies, and revenue-making opportunities that they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can start doing the same. Now, let's kick things off. Today, I'm speaking with James Van Swearingen, Director of Revenue Operations here at Blockthrough. So James, I'm interested to first learn a little bit more about your story. Tell me how you got started in ad tech. Yeah, I previously worked at a media or a television company being an assistant there and found that really wasn't the right fit for me and found an ad ops job. And that turned out to be a great fit. I really enjoyed working with the tech and being part of the creative process still. And I started out trafficking, mostly copy and pasting from Mm -hmm. Excel sheets to GAM, but quickly found that there was more room to grow. Programmatic was becoming a thing at the time, and our company was doing it a little bit, but not very much. And they allowed me to expand into developing that uh, to be a full program, getting SSPs directly into our stack. I think we were still doing Waterfall at the time. And there was also an opportunity to work on some of the metrics. They need a lot of reporting. This was a standard publisher. So there was reporting on page views and visitor counts and all these sorts of standard metrics that publishers are looking at. And then I started to combine them with our programmatic data and our regular ad data or direct ad data to enable us to benchmark and monitor our efficiency metrics to make sure that we were getting the most out of our ad stack. Wow, that is very impressive. Out of curiosity then, how long have you been in ad tech? Just because it seems that you have a lot of experience in this industry. Yeah, I can't believe it really, but it's been about eight years. So given your time in ad tech, I'm sure you've seen a lot of ups and downs in the industry, some minor changes and some major changes. I'm interested to learn what you think is happening in ad tech right now that publishers should be paying attention to. Yeah, some of the things that publishers should be paying attention to are making sure that their ad stack is set up correctly and efficiently. And then also the other thing that I think publishers, I think already have their fingers on the pulse for is the death of third-party cookie that Mm. should be coming at some point in the future as Google keeps pushing that timeline back. But it's something that we should all be paying attention to. It's a little enjoyable for me from a content marketing perspective to see once in a blue moon, Google will come out and pushes the marker down for the cookie apocalypse. So that's always fun to see from at least a marketing standpoint. But bringing it back to you, I'm curious to learn what a typical workday looks like for you here at Blockthrough, because you've been with us for at least a year now, right? Yeah, just hit a year this past week. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, a typical workday really starts off with monitoring, making sure that all of our accounts and websites on our network are doing great. For those that aren't, we're making tickets for our solutions engineering team and publisher success team to either correct something that may have broken or reach out to the publisher to get our script back on page. And We really spend a lot of time making sure that all of our sites are looking tip-top shape. And then the rest of the day is spent on experimentation, trying to figure out what works best for our network. So we're looking at price floors and different creatives that we can allow through our GAM setup and other SSPs. And we're just constantly trying to figure out what's happening for our unfilled inventory and looking at all the data there. And then another core operation, although it may not be daily, is reconciling all of our numbers to make sure the billing is correct for all of our publisher accounts. No, wow, that 
Sounds like a lot to do in a typical workday for you. So you mentioned that block through the revenue operations team runs through experiments. You mentioned price flows earlier. Is there like a general timeline for these experiments? How long do you run them for typically before you start measuring results? Yeah, so we try to run them for as long as possible, but as short as we can, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. We're trying to make sure that all the SSPs are able to acclimate to the different bid floors that we put in place. So we typically run experiments for a week or maybe two, but frequently we'll run certain things for less. So if it's not requiring a change in bidding behavior, we'll run it for three or four days just to get a good sense of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Usually from a paid advertising perspective, like on the advertiser side, like specifically with Google search ads, I think my experiments tend to run two weeks. So it's interesting to hear that you have a quicker turnaround for it. You also mentioned a little earlier a few of the metrics that you look at from a day-to-day perspective. For a block through in particular, what are some of the metrics that we look at? Yeah, we're looking at page views, acceptable ads, page views or AAPVs, auctions per AAPV, and fill CPM and RPM as well uh, to make sure that we're making the most money per page view as possible. Also making sure that our auctions are efficient and we look at the RCPM for that. Okay, let's back up a minute. What exactly are acceptable ads page views? I know Blockthrough's technology at its core is based off of the acceptable ads standard, but can you just clarify a little more what AAPVs is? Yeah, in your kind of Venn diagram of traffic, you have all your page views that everyone's coming to your site to see. And then you have your ad blocked page views, which is a subset of your total inventory for the users that come to your site with Adblock turned on. And then there's a subset mm-hmm. of Adblocked users that have opted into less intrusive ads or the acceptable ad standard that allows us to then put ads on the page on behalf of our publishers. So acceptable ads is that subset of a subset of users that have opted into less intrusive advertising, but still have an ad blocker on their page. But those particular types of page views are still important to the publisher just because in general, if you have, if they have a user with an ad blocker on, they're already missing out on that revenue monetizing that user, but it sounds like acceptable ads page views is a way for publishers to monetize that user without really going against their preferred web experience in the first place. That's exactly right. These are page views that the publisher, if they're not working with block through, they're not currently monetizing, then they just go unmonetized. You want to make sure that you're monetizing those as best as possible. Someone might come to block through to make sure you're monetizing those acceptable ad users. And again, as you mentioned, it does respect the user's choice in terms of the ad experience they're willing to accept. Right. And I know that because we work in a very specific part of an already very specific industry. So sometimes some of the metrics that we look at a revenue Uh, optimization perspective is a little different from the typical publisher. So let's bring it back a little more. What are some of the typical revenue metrics that you think most publishers look at? Uh, I mean, CPM is always a huge metric that publishers are looking at, but fill is another standard metric that publishers are looking at. One that they may not be checking as often is ads per page view or auctions per page view and making sure those numbers actually line up so that you're getting an impression for every auction that you're running on a page. Why exactly does that matter? So you mentioned that maybe that's something that publishers don't really look at quite often. Why is that something that they should probably start incorporating in their day-to-day operational activities? Yeah. So at my previous experience, we looked at the number of impressions per page view, but that didn't necessarily include all the auctions that may 
fail an error or you may not get a response from an SSP. So it never actually completes the full ad request chain. And so that's the reason why I said that people should be checking their auction to impression ratio. That kind of gets incorporated into fill rate, but could lead to an investigation around why their fill rate might be low. Interesting. Are there any other analytical markers that pubs should be watching out for? Uh, I'm a big fan of the real CPM, as I call it, or the RCPM, which is basically CPM times fill, which gives the efficiency of a singular auction that you have on a page. And double checking this is really great for when you're running bid floor experiments to make sure that you're achieving a higher yield per auction than you might have been before you placed the new bid floor. No, that makes sense. I think previously we were also talking about average bids per auction. Yes. So that's something that we've recently started to look into a little bit more. You can have an average of five bids per auction, but that could be only for maybe one auction and not the other. You could have Mm -hmm. 10 bids on one auction and then zero bids on another. You're not going to get fill on the one that has zero bids but you might get a really high CPM on the one that has a high number of bids for that auction. So we're trying to move away from just looking at the average of bids per auction as a metric and move more towards a distribution of that to make sure we understand, are our auctions actually very dense frequently or is it very infrequent that it's happening? And that's part of the reason why you might be achieving lower fill than you want. And are you talking about auction density then? Yes, basically. Okay, how would one improve auction density. In your example, you said that there are some auctions where you have 10 bids and there are others where you maybe have zero bids. So that's why it's important to look at everything from an auction specific level. But is there any way to improve the auctions that let's say have the zero bids? Uh, Yeah. So one of the things that we're doing is trying to bring in additional demand. So we're putting in a server integration that has duplicate SSPs or brand new net new SSPs for the publisher site so that you're able to get an additional bid because not all bids go all the way through to the DSP and they're able to bid on it. There's a portion of bids that become available at the DSP as a cost saving measure, and then they try to best match it. So if you're able to send that bid request in multiple times, you're able to get a larger swath of inventory bidding on that request. Additionally, you want to make sure that you're adding in uh, new demand. So if you can put in maybe some smaller SSPs with some unique demand server side, you're not adding additional latency to the auction unnecessarily to get that small incremental increase in revenue. Right. Cause, um, when you first mentioned duplicating demand, it sounded a bit like, is that even if you do it on the server side, like, does that require additional code on page? Uh, if you do server integration, that will require one additional bidder into your pre-bid wrapper or your other wrappers that you may be using. And it makes one additional request out. And then the beauty of the server is that one request then propagates out to multiple SSPs. And then you're able to get multiple bids back from that one single request. And typically server connections are faster than your standard client to server connection. And that way you're able to not add too much latency to the request versus running it on the page. Interesting. I wasn't familiar with the concept of duplicate demand. So that's something new that I've learned today. I do want to take things a little past block through for a moment. So you've been talking about your, you know, leveraging your experience here. I want to talk about pre-block through. What were some of the things that you focused on from a revenue analytics perspective back then? I think one of the main problems that we ran into or I've run into and several of my other roles is just 
aggregating the data correctly, aggregating it regularly, and making sure that it's accessible to the publisher, in part to make sure that you're catching any errors very quickly, but also when you make changes to make sure things are going in a positive direction. And that kind of leads to additional experimentation being a core tenant for publishers to make more revenue. So yeah, that's kind of what I focused on previously, in addition to making sure that the ad tech stack, uh, you know, was optimally set up. Right. And I think, you know, like when we were talking about this before, you also mentioned that some of the challenges that you were trying to solve were along the lines of acquiring new traffic for the particular publisher that you worked for. Yeah. So we did a bit of that at the page views are the inventory that generates the slots for the ads, which generates the revenue for the publisher. Mm -hmm. One major thing that we were constantly focused on is how to grow traffic. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of standard procedures we were working with that people do. So making sure your SEO was up to par, working with your Facebook, your organic Facebook, I, I want to call them tweets, but they're not tweets, Facebook <laughs> posts on the pages to make sure that you're getting the most audience there. And then also taking a look at what's driving that audience and then making sure those tweets or terms that you're generating traffic from are generating more page views per visit so that you're really generating as much traffic as possible. Uh, that was what we were focusing on when we we're trying to drive additional traffic. So it sounds like, um, I'm not sure if you particularly use Google Analytics, but really just trying to understand like the referral sources or like what is the best channel that's driving um, the most amount of traffic to your website and how can you exploit or how you how can you maximize on that? That's what it sounds yeah, like. We, we're definitely doing that and we're trying to drive engaged traffic in particular mm -hmm. because that pays dividends back if people like your content and will come back on their own. And so we're really trying to focus on that. So like newsletters were a great source for us to make sure that people were coming back multiple times just because they get that to their inbox and they click multiple times. And we saw that be a strong avenue of return users for us. But we also saw those users were a bit more engaged than your uh, standard uh, Facebook user who was typically bouncing after the first page. And were you using any particular tools in order to source and parse this information? Or were you just doing this regularly through Google Analytics? We used Adobe Analytics primarily, and we were able to determine the source using UTM codes that you would use in Google Analytics to figure out the referral source. For the search, that was a little bit more challenging because you don't get the codes directly associated with the keywords, but uh, we would do additional testing there to make sure that we would try to promote individual keywords and see what pages were popping up to see what the engagement rate was per author or per topic that we suspected were associated with the key search term. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with UTM parameters, but do you mind just clarifying it a little further? Oh, yeah. Yeah, UTM codes. So typically at the end of a URL, you'll see a query parameter get started with a question mark and then UTM underscore campaign or UTM underscore source or something like that. And those are just query parameters that get added on to the call when you browse to something and the analytics tool is able to parse the value that's associated with the UTM code. And then you're able to look at the visit relative to that UTM code or the user or the page view. And so that allows you to see a little bit more granularly where your traffic is coming from. You can even go so far to specify like which newsletter, which placement on the newsletter, which link, which article title, et cetera. And that allows you to get really granular in uh, your data. Yeah, you kind of, I guess foresaw my next question. I was wondering in your previous experiences, have you ever used these UTM parameters in order to help out with experimentation to see if 
there's a way you can leverage that to see what's working, what's not working from a revenue perspective? Yeah, definitely. We started to ingest key value parameters into Google Ad Manager from that were also in the query parameters that we passed mm-hmm. to our analytics. So we were then able to establish like what the impressions per page view were generated from the visit. And we were also able to figure out the revenue from there because we were able to match back which impressions were there. We would definitely do this for kind of paid marketing campaigns, which we did early on in my tenure at my previous role to make sure if we did purchase traffic, we'd make our money back from purchasing that traffic. I think that's what a lot of arbitrage sites do, and they probably could explain it better than me, but (laughs) that's the general. That makes sense. I think from a paid acquisition perspective, we also use... UTM parameters. So it's easier for me to see which pay channel is generating the most amount of traffic and what particular ad or what kind of content piece is helping that. And I feel like that's still transferable for publishers because that information, if they are using paid advertising, can still help out understand like, all right, what pay traffic source is like generating the most amount of page views and how can I maximize this to see an influx of traffic coming to my site? Yeah, exactly. So just before we wrap things up, I'm interested to learn like overall during your time in revenue operations, what would you say are some short-term and long-term opportunities that publishers should be focusing on when it comes to driving revenue growth? Yeah, I think making sure the publisher's ad stack is full of strong bidders from your standard SSPs that you might select that are kind of the main ones out there. And then also making sure you're leveraging GAM to the I would say floors are very valuable when working with GAN. Uh, the other thing, which is going to sound a little self-promoting, is like <laughs> with some of the kind of recession stuff going on, and we've seen kind of bids deflated, making sure that you're monetizing all of your inventory. So I would recommend to publishers to use something like block through to make sure that you're monetizing that ad blocked inventory as we discussed earlier. Those mm-hmm. are page views you already have, but you may not be monetizing. If you're not monetizing that, that's an easy win. More long term, I would say we should continue to look towards making sure you're future proofed for the death of a third party cookie. It sounds mm-hmm. to be inevitable. Who knows mm-hmm. when, but making sure that you have your integrations all set up so that you can pass that first party information down to your advertisers and making sure you understand how you can leverage your data that you've collected maybe for quizzes or your own internal marketing campaigns, how you can Mm -hmm. leverage that for your advertising campaigns as well. Right. So like creating maybe a value exchange through zero party data, which I believe um, a few people I've noticed it recently, like a lot of people have started to talk about creating that value exchange where you create assets that you believe are valuable to your users in lieu of like maybe receiving an email or some sort of personally identifiable piece of information that you can use for further marketing tactics or maybe even for PMP deals, I'm assuming? Yeah, definitely. If you can make that, however you make that available to your advertiser clients, they'll they should be spending more because they know exactly who they're getting and hopefully they're targeting the people that they want. Yeah. However, you can provide that information to the client, whether it's through encrypted signals of the user's hashed email, or if it's providing a PMP of, you know, first party data that you have or zero party data that you have around Mm -hmm. the user, those are beneficial to the advertiser. So they should be spending more. I kind of want to bring the conversation back to you just before we close things off. And I would love to ask you, 
what kind of advice you would want to give yourself if you were able to restart uh, your current position? Yeah, I think it. I would just say getting alerts set up a lot faster for <laughs> our data to make sure that everything is working correctly. We're not missing anything and making sure that when things are going up, we know that they're going up and we can figure out why they're going in the right direction. So figuring that out a little bit sooner would have been helpful. <laughs> Save me some uh daily combing through the data, but I would say definitely alerts around your data and those key metrics that we mentioned earlier, I think is something that I would recommend to myself to get started from day one. Mm, and you've also set up alerts, not just for showing when you see like a spike, a positive spike in customer's revenue, but also I'm assuming if something starts to go down, so you can react more quickly to it rather than maybe noticing it, let's say two weeks down the line. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, uh, I mean, that's the main use case for the alerts is for when things drop because every day is every day that an error is happening and you're losing impressions and that means you're losing revenue. So every mm -hmm. kind of minute's a dollar. You want to make sure that you catch those as fast as possible. And setting up alerts for our data have really decreased our time to action that we're able to catch these drops much sooner and save our publishers a lot more money. No, that sounds great. I just want to take the moment to thank you, Van, for joining us today, as well as our listeners for tuning in. I think we learned a lot about revenue operations, not just from a Blockly perspective, but things that we can also apply within our own ad tech configuration. I think your alerts that you mentioned are definitely something that we should all probably try to implement, not just from a revenue operations perspective, but just in our day to day. It sounds like something to help us stay on the ball. And it's very interesting to learn a little bit more about the auction density and ways to improve it. Um, I hope that not just for me, but I hope that you listeners have also learned something new and useful that you can apply to your own business. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to Slice of Ad Tech on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and any other place you like to listen to your favorite podcast so you never miss an episode. Know someone who you'd love to hear from or think is a great fit for our next episode? Set your suggestions in to marketing at blockthrough.com. Or just say hi. We love hearing from you. This is Nira, and I'll see you next time. Bye now.